Content, information, and opinions expressed during the related show are those of the show personalities and guest alone, and not those of Vic Canellis Media Group, its parent, affiliates, or stations. VCMG Live is not responsible for any content, information, or opinions expressed. User bears full responsibility for their reliance on such content, information, or opinions. Here we go. It's Monday night. Time once again for Ira on Sports, <clears throat> True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo, and Ira is here live in studio. I love when you're here. You've had a, some busy traveling to get here in time, though. Where have you been? This is one of your busier uh, football weekends. Yeah, well, I just at uh, Penn State, Indiana on Saturday. I went to a high school game on Friday. See yes, my friend. You did. <laughs> and then uh, Penn State, Indiana on Saturday, and Steelers, Jacksonville on Sunday. Sat in the rain, uh, saw the Steelers do what they normally do, and then uh, flew down. It was a little hard getting out of Pittsburgh, leaving at 6 a.m., and then saying that you can't fly. We had to go back after on the runway because the windshield wiper didn't work. So that shows how much it was raining there in Pittsburgh. <laughs> and the windshield wiper, and they didn't call advanced auto parts in order to get their windshield wiper <laughs> working, and they finally got it actually someone came and fixed it and then they said it's not fixed we're gonna have to leave the plane but then they go it's starting to work so now we're gonna call back the mate to see if it still can fly we made that i do a connection from baltimore still got here it's always something uh, you know when you got to get in the air luckily uh, you made it here in time Great guest today, 740. Kenny Albert's going to join us. Really needs no introduction. No, I mean, he's the NFL Fox. He's been there for 20-some years in terms of doing Fox NFL on the second team. And also, he's the lead uh, in terms of baseball and in terms of uh, hockey. He's a lead hockey analyst. Um, he is an all-time, you would think, he's not Marv Albert, but he's going to pass his father. He's going to be the number one. He was in the mid-50s, and by the time he's in the 60s, he's going to have be broadcast more big games and big number of games than any other sportscaster of all time. So it's pretty amazing, and he's a great, I'm so excited to have him on the show. Yeah, New York Rangers play-by-play -play guy for 28 years. I mean, 15, this is 1,500 games for the Rangers. <laughs> you would think he's like 85 years old and because he, he started when he was in his early 20s. It's yeah. pretty... And there aren't many guys who do all four major American sports. Him and Mike Tirico are probably about the only ones you're going to find. Yes, in baseball, football, basketball, and hockey, and, and, and being all of them very much so. I mean, he does 25 Nick games a year, yeah. so... He's got an impressive resume. We'll talk to Kenny Albert at 740. Of course, at Ira on Sports, you can see where Ira's uh, headed any, any, uh, anywhere across social media. World Series underway. Kind of unlikely, at least one of the teams that made it, Arizona Diamondbacks, taking on uh, the Texas Rangers. And we're going to get you all caught up in what happened here. Yeah, I, I, feel, I feel bad, Mike. I mean, <laughs> I don't know why you're here. Because... So Mike, Mike was saying, I would say the last three months, how much he likes Arizona. Even when Arizona was terrible, they lost like 16 out of 18 games. And he's been a big Corbin Carroll fan, a big Arizona fan, mm -hmm. playoff star. He's like, I really like Arizona. And he <laughs> bets, but he did not bet I'm Arizona. I'm an idiot on this one. 35 this, to 1. And, and, and it's like, even after, the, even after they won and they were playing the Phillies, he's like, I really liked them, but I'm not going to bet on Phillies. But I, I think they can probably still beat the Phillies. And yeah. again, you just—I have—I feel it's I'm responsible. I feel I just <laughs> needed to convince you to bet more. You know these things is yeah. don't bet, think before you bet. I should have said don't think, just bet. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't encourage you. I, it's my fault. I had the the gut feeling that this team could do it. And now here we are. I mean, we'll talk about it now. But this World Series could be two nothing. Let's get caught up though. ALCS Rangers and Astros. Here's an interesting stat: Bruce Bochy, the coach of the Rangers, has never lost a game seven. Dusty Baker, the coach of the Astros, has never won a Game 7. <laughs> so it's kind of writing on the wall for what was going to happen here in the ALCS Game 7. Yeah, Scherzer versus Javier. Scherzer just pitched two and, a, two, and a third, two and thirds innings for the Rangers. 
And he wasn't good. He gave him two runs, 44 pitches. But Javier was just awful and got you know slammed. Adolis Garcia had two home runs in the game, five RBIs. It was 10-2 after six innings, and it really wasn't that exciting. And for a game seven, it did have that momentum in terms of it. But mm. this whole series was crazy because nobody won at home. Seven games, all the road teams <laughs> won. And uh, they were uh, Houston. It was 40-47 and 47 at home this year, 0-4 in the series. And uh, he's now Bochy is the first skipper to win the LCS with three teams, the San Diego and San Francisco. And Texas. Texas has gone eight and zero on the road going into this playoffs, uh, as joining only the '96 Yanks to do that. So going to the NLCS here, it's three to two Phillies, and the Phillies have just had a game where they hit like 15 home runs, and you're heading back to Philadelphia. I don't think anyone on the planet was giving Arizona a chance to win two games in Philly. They were able to do it. So Chris Mad Doug Russo is like the number one. We'll ask Kenny Albert about this comment because he there was a, he's number one sports talk host of all time. He made a comment. He will retire if the Phillies lose at home two games because if there's ever a team that has a home field advantage, it's the Phillies. I was at the World Series last year. I saw that the fans that SEC football. It's like Alabama LSU. They're standing on their feet the entire game. They're screaming, yelling. This is not normal baseball etiquette in terms of like the old Yankees. How they now they're mm-hmm. the old Yankees the old Yankee Stadium, screaming and yelling. To think that the Arizona would come in there and win two games was crazy. And then the first game, uh, Kelly versus Nola, and then the you know the Arizona took a 3-0 lead, and Marte drove another one to make it 5-1. And you're just waiting for the Phillies to make this huge run in the end, and they don't. I mean, Schwarber, Turner, and Harper were 0-9 for 9 in the game, and uh, Philly had never trailed by more than two runs in the entire postseason until that second inning of that game. Yeah, and, and you got to see the difference when you play – games at Chase Field in Arizona, how cavernous it is. It's hard to hit balls out of there. And they were really silenced, you know, going to Arizona. It was just harder for them to produce runs. Going to Philly, it's like a little bandstand, and that's why they do hit so many home runs. It was going to take everything that the D-backs had pitching-wise, and and they got it uh, in both of these games. Game 7 going to this one, and again, it was closer this game, but still, Arizona never in doubt. Arizona getting the lead, going up to 2-1, and then they got two more runs in the fifth. I mean, they were down 2-1, and then they got two runs in the fifth to take a 3-2 lead, and then added one more to make it 4-1, And then, really, at that end, you're like, they're down. That's where people talked about this, and I, I thought about it to myself also. I was there at the no-hitter game. Remember when the Astros pitched the no-hitters in the World Series mm-hmm. against? And it's like... The fans, when they're supporting you, it's like, great, front running, we're great. But when you're struggling, then they start, the Philly fans start turning, not turning on you, but you can sense the frustration. They're ready to boo. And I think that <laughs> led up because in the seventh inning, the Phillies had two on and one out, but Ginkle hi- retired Harper and Turner. And then in the eighth inning, Ginkle struck out the side, side for the Phillies. In the ninth inning, Seawalk had a perfect ninth. So actually, they were able to shut down. I mean, the Phillies' inability to get this huge start, I mean, the only games, they are like the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, they, yeah. they, they Dallas Cowboys had played a close game all year. They either get this huge lead and they coast and they're great and Michael Parsons is sacking and they're running the ball and Dak is throwing to C.D. Lamb or they're getting blown out themselves. <laughs> so the point is it's one or the other but what a win and, and uh, uh, Corbin Carroll, three for four, two RBIs as you predicted, their first World Series in 22 years and uh, Kendall, Mar- Kendall Marte had 12 hits for the series, four doubles was the MVP. Harper in the series was just two for 16 and uh, the key I think in this series so was games three and four. When they're up 2-0 and they blow Kim Kimbrell blew the leads in three and four. He blew both those games. And I think that really hurt them in terms of blowing those games, in terms of Kimbrell in the same position, bringing him in and then having those leads blown. And, and, and you know, my Philly fans are like, so what? Even if the, the Phillies felt like if we're down 3-2 going to Philly, we're still going to win the series. So it doesn't matter. And I think that maybe that sense of urgency of not completing it early hurt them. Well, bringing up the bullpen, you're absolutely correct. Arizona's bullpen was good all year. And they acquired Paul Seawald from the Mariners at the trade deadline to bolster even more. And we saw how good the bullpen was winning these games for them down the stretch. 
up until game one of the, <laughs> of the World Series, where it looked like Arizona was going to win this game basically all night, and then Paul Sewald, who's been so good, had a hiccup, and next thing you know, we're going to extras, and didn't look good in extras. Yeah, I was at a party uh, for the football game on Friday night, and people were you know, going nuts. with sitting outside, and thinking in the middle of October in Pennsylvania, sitting outside at 70-degree temperatures, crazy, but uh, I felt like you were in Florida, but it was like, Seeger hits that home run, you're waiting for that game. What a big home run. Remember, Seeger was the MVP of the uh, pandemic World Series for the Dodgers, so he's used to postseason baseball and the pressure of it and there were fans remember at that world series there were fans they played at texas at the time in those games so there were fans in the stands that during those things and then uh Adoles garcia hit a home run in the in the 11th to win but uh no if you're arizona you're like but after what everson's been through they were down 2-0 to the phils three down three to the phils that came back so that was it was pretty shocking that they would lose that first game and then but they came back in the next one yeah game two this one was kind of never in doubt scored early and often and texas just couldn't get anything going yeah i mean i think uh kelly for arizona what a story. He was drafted by Tampa Bay in 2010, spent six seasons in the minors, and then he then was went over to Korea for four years and pitched in Korea. Just came back here and since 2019 and had been playing. And he's 12 and 18 with 328 ERA with 30 starts, but he was awesome. Seven innings pitched, three hits, one run. And Jordan Montgomery, who we, we talked about off the air, which I think they cannot believe how the Yankees gave up on him, which is... Yeah, Texas is 1-2. We're both on the Yankees <laughs> last year, and they're crushing people this year. And Brian Cashman said he doesn't see he doesn't see a place for Evaldi or Montgomery in their uh, rotation. And, and, like, what is their rotation? And like, <laughs> how about second and third starters would be what it would be. But, uh, though, this is a big win. And then, it, again, all the hits that they had were for Arizona to go up and win 9-1, a big win for them to do that. Now they're back at home for three games starting tonight. So we're going to have... Games tonight, uh, in, in when it starts Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, they're off Thursday, and then games six and seven, if necessary, on Friday and Saturday. So tonight's an interesting one because you've got Max Scherzer, first ballot Hall of Famer, who is really a Jekyll and Hyde. He was awful in the one start that he made this year, uh, this postseason, and this season you really didn't know what you were getting, versus Brandon Fott, who is one of the best prospects in, in baseball, came up this year and was terrible. Pitched to a 70 RA in the regular season. Now in the postseason, he's been great. So I really have no idea what's going to happen in this matchup. But if Scherzer gets dinged up early like he you know, is prone to do, could be an Arizona win tonight. You're the highest paid pitcher in baseball. Uh, I guess, you know, <laughs> pitching for Scherzer because he makes the highest paid salary-wise. But no, I, I think, I mean, it, it's... it's uh, it's intriguing. I mean, I think the comment and the one comment I was going to add was that we talked about this last week. These teams that did not try to make the playoffs at 84 wins. I mean, but it doesn't matter if you win 104, 100 like Atlanta and the Dodgers did or 101 like Baltimore, 99 with Tampa. It just get in the playoffs. And I give the Marlins credit. They got in. Now, it didn't work out, but get in the playoffs and see what happens. They played get, hard till the end. Acquired you, guys to try to make the playoffs. Some of these teams are like, oh, I want to create the lineup that's going to win 105 games every year. That is worthless. Like, you could win 120. It doesn't matter. It yeah. does not matter. It matters to get in the playoffs and I think you just get a ton of relievers you've got to get great relievers and get clutch hitters and timely things you got to make a good mix of veterans and, 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 and young players but to think that I'm going to build this team that's going to 100 to 10 100 it doesn't matter it doesn't matter if you win those games just get the 84 wins get in the playoffs and then go we saw the Nationals three years ago be the worst team in their division with two months to go and win the World Series and then make get the, in the playoffs and then make those deadline moves I think that the key thing is these little moves these teams are making the end be a buyer don't be a seller pick up some teams and go and make those moves and I just think when you look at the Mets to think that the Mets couldn't have made the playoffs and got 84 wins is crazy and then you get in the playoffs and see what happens but that's that's to them it, to anybody who's 
a casual baseball fan and maybe stopped watching because they just got annoyed with just seeing home runs or strikeouts, watch these games because Arizona is a small ball team. It reminds you of a, a 90s National League team. They run, they bunt, they steal. They, they're an exciting team to watch. And if they get on base, they're going to do damage. This has been a really exciting series. And how about how fast these games are? That World Series game two was under like two hours, 45 minutes or 50 minutes. It was the fastest World Series in like 30 years. So, I mean, you're going to see the World Series game over before tonight, before the Monday Night Football game is over, so, which is a shock because usually <laughs> yeah. the World Series games go on when, four they, hours, when yeah. the Yankees play, you know, go four and four and a half hours. So. This is Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Legendary broadcaster Kenny Albert joins us around 740. Let's go to NCAA action. We were talking uh, before we went on air. You're not happy about the upcoming playoff expansion, but where do we stand standings-wise now? Just five undefeated teams, 8-0, Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, Florida State, and Washington left. And uh, there's seven 7-1 teams, Oregon, Texas, Bama, Penn State, which doesn't have a chance, Oklahoma, which lost this week, Old Miss, which really, and, and Missouri, which needs help because they need Alabama to lose twice, and Missouri was a game against Georgia. But I love this, that they're battling, all these teams are battling for four spots, because if they're all battling for 12 spots, it's not so exciting. I don't care about 64. I don't care about the 65th or 60. I know people think March Madness and the brackets coming out are so exciting and what team didn't get in because they had they were 19 and 16. But I really like the fact that you're battling in every one of these games. I sat there. Oklahoma's loss matters. I mean, these games matter. And Florida State loses a game. They're out. Like, yeah. I love that. And it, this is the last year I get this. This is my <laughs> final year. So I'm, I, I'm depressed. So let's talk about Indiana and Penn State. You were there. Um, I think this might have been your first Penn State. Usually you go to every Penn State game. I think this was your first Second, one. I saw Second. the Ohio State game. Oh, the yeah, yeah, yeah. First one in at Penn State. Yes. Um, talk about this game. This was something, obviously, you know, you're predicting a, a lopsided victory here. Well, Penn State was favored by 33. And I think coming into the game, the one thing I've noticed this whole week is that James Franklin, I, he is like Teflon James because he is not. We, people Penn State fans are frustrated with James Franklin. He's one and nine against Ohio State, three and six against Michigan, has not won any big game on the road forever. And uh, for 10 years, he's been there. And, and But his name keeps getting piled up like, oh, the USC coach or this name. I'm like, well, you know, we could take him. Like, I know he's the best recruiter <laughs> in the world, but he's not that great. But after that Ohio State game, now he's finally get like Mad Dog Russo went on his first take and they and Stephen A are bashing him. Like, he's finally get this national criticism. I'm like, wow, finally they're thinking about what we've been seeing. And uh, this was... Another bad game for Penn State. They're 33-point favorites, and they end up winning by nine. They were barely to win, lucky to win by that. It was 24-24 with two minutes to go in the game. Uh, Indiana, the worst run defense in, in the whole Big Ten. Penn State only ran for 80 yards. Penn State was 1-16 of 16 on third downs against Ohio State. They started this game 0 for 3. And Ohio and Indiana was up like 14-7. And then uh, if it wasn't for Indiana, like they made a mistake at the end of the second half, and, and Penn State took a, the 17-13 lead. But, you know, Ohio Indiana tied the score at 24-24. And they could have taken the lead. Penn State threw an interception, and Indiana had the ball like a 21-yard line. They go in, they're up, they take the lead by four. Instead, they kick a field goal, tie at 24. And Penn State has like a big play, then they make a mistake, and then they win and kick so the field goal. So they're out of safety. But it was still Drew Aller, who everyone's like NFL, NFL ready, and he's he certainly did not play well at all. I know he threw the three. His stats look great, but he doesn't look great when he plays. And uh, Penn State, but again, the Big Ten is just three teams, and they went Penn. State or Penn State knows how to beat these other teams. Indiana was two and five going to the game. They're two and six. Speaking of one of the other teams, it's Ohio State. They were playing Michigan. I was playing Wisconsin. They sorry. wish they were playing Michigan, but Ohio <laughs> State is eight and zero. Oh. Um, Luke Fickle was the coach of Wisconsin. Remember, Luke Fickle got the job when Urban Meyer was forced out, and then Ohio State said, "We don't want you, Luke Fickle." And then he was in Cincinnati, does a great job. They have Ryan Day. I get you a bunch of Ohio State fans would rather have Luke Fickle back as their coach, not Ryan Day. But uh, it, it, the story of this game is Trayvon Henderson. Trayvon Henderson had twenty four carries for. 
162 yards and a touchdown. Last year, he rushed for 1,300 yards. He's been banged up this whole year, has not really played well. And then you saw how well he ran. Like, he looks like an NFL running back and was phenomenal. And if he gets that plus, then you have Marvin Harrison Jr., six catches, 123 yards, two touchdowns. And uh, between that and Kyle McCord, their quarterback is just average. I mean, he makes mistakes, fumbles. He's just not that good. But you have Harrison and Henderson, you're able to win. And their defense has not given up more than 17 points all year. And this is something that Ohio State hasn't had in the past is this great defense. And something that USC wishes they would have had is, you know, these other teams that we're going to talk about, these great defense. That's what I like about Ohio State. But it's just this game. I mean, they're just going to just slog through this whole season and waiting to play Michigan now. You're keeping it in the Big Ten and mentioning Michigan. Can you explain what's going on with the sign ceiling? Because some people are saying this is no, not a big deal at all, and other people are saying this is crazy cheating. I don't think it's a big deal at all, but the fact is that 20 years ago, you were allowed to go scout, and every high school team sends scouts, and they scout and look at plays, but for a cost-saving move, the NCAA said, it's not a good idea. We don't want teams to go scout other teams, so you're supposed to just look at the films that people give you, but of course, cost-saving moves, all these coaches make 10 to $12 million a year. They're paying NIL money at millions of dollars a year. I don't really think sending a scout looking at yeah, a, a couple game, of plane tickets in a hotel yeah. room. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not worth it. it. You know, it could come up to things. Connor Stallions is the person who's criticized. He wrote a 500-page thesis on why he wanted to be the coach of Michigan and how he's going to become the coach. And he was like a former Navy SEAL, and they came up with all these things. You know, these programs are so big. I don't know if Harbaugh, I'm going to give Harbaugh a pass on this. The fact that Stallions was going to do this. I mean, he's he didn't even have a direct report to Harbaugh. His direct report to someone else. His direct report to him. You know, the fact that he was aggressive and say, went out to these games and scouted and did those things and, and saw the signs. But look, if everyone is stealing signs anyway, that's why they have these cardboards. I sit behind the visiting team and I can't see part of the game because they're holding up these stupid signs with all the pictures and everything like that. So everybody knows what's happening. They all have iPhones. They can see people on the other side. Like, I don't understand how this is such a big deal about the signs. They weren't going to practice. They weren't breaking in. This is a game. They're watching the game. If you had a camera from the other side, you'd see the sign. Like, I don't understand even why they're supposedly Ohio State asked the NCAA last year if they could do that for the playoffs. And they said, yes, they let them do it for the playoffs. I don't think it's a big deal. But now Michigan, again, it's just like they're after Michigan for every stupid thing. The recruiting violations. So what? They gave them a free hotel room to some of their parents when these players are making millions of dollars a year. So Harbaugh suspended for three games. It's like, I think it's just picking on Harbaugh. And I, I, I mean, I'm a Penn State fan and I'm not rooting for Michigan, but I think this is like beat them on the field. Stop complaining about what Michigan's doing. I wasn't aware of this, but I don't know if you heard Joel Klatt, who's a big college commentator analyst. He said the reason that they don't have uh, microphones in college helmets, you know, or earpieces from the coach is because the coaches don't want it because they all steal signs. So if they, if they got, if they did that, they get rid of the signs. They can't steal the team's signs anymore. So this is obviously a pretty big rampant thing, I should say. Right. At the NFL level, you can see that there's no sign things because they're, they have things in the helmet. If you're saying, well, that must cost a lot of money. No, it doesn't. Considering how much these programs have, <laughs> just please someone go to a big time college football game and see how many assistants and assistants and assistants and all this technology and go to their facilities and their weight rooms and everything like that. Trust me, they can have a little helmet. I mean, th these players are tracked in their, their food. They have these metric, biometric yep. systems all around. They're the most advanced. They're like more than our military is even. <laughs> and the fact is they can have it. Uh, it doesn't cost. I think this is the most ridiculous thing. And I think it's to say, oh, Michigan's not going to play in the playoffs or whatever. I think that's just, they're just piling on Harbaugh on this one. So what's uh, coming up for the Big Ten? Penn State's favorite. I'm only giving you three teams because that's all that matters. Penn State's favorite by three, ten and a half at Maryland. Ohio State's favorite by 18 and a half at Rutgers. And Purdue is 
uh, playing Michigan and Michigan's favorite by 32 and a half. The thing is, in two weeks, Michigan's at Penn State. And let's see what happens. Now, of course, I'll be there. That's going to be a big game. I bet you Michigan will be a seven, eight point favorite in that game. But uh, that'll be the game is in two weeks, Michigan at Penn State. Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel, Mike Balsamo here as well. Follow Ira on social media at Ira on Sports. Let's go to the ACC. Florida State keep doing what they do and and beating teams and like you said if if they run the table we're looking at a playoff team. I, this is where I give Florida State credit. They've had like three close games this year, like the Boston College game, which is really close. And you know what? They won them. And and that's what you do. You win them, and then you look at the record. And people forget that that Boston College how bad they played. How much they only lost the game. Like if you win the you beat a team that you're a forty point favorite and you win by one point, it doesn't matter. You win. But yeah. if you lose, it's but they're eight and zero. And people look. Oh, Florida State's eight and zero. They beat Florida Wake Forest forty one to sixteen. They were twenty point favorites. Jordan Travis looks like a Heisman Trophy candidate. 359 yards, three touchdowns. Trey Benson running well. Keon Coleman's great wide receiver. They're great. They're going to be one of the third or fourth when the thing comes out uh, tomorrow. Um, they're one of the top teams. But, you know, it's like, I don't know. My eye taste is not Florida State's that good. But they actually had did a great job with the transfer portal. They got it right. This, these are all transfers. And they're now 8-0. and And I think their ability, Mike Norvell's ability to coach and win these close games, I give them credit for that. Clemson took on North Carolina State. And you've been critical of Clemson on this show before. <laughs> I just told go. you because I can't believe they're 4-4. Four and four. I mean, Clemson is a team that people thought had eclipsed Alabama. I'm only mentioning this because this is a team that people had said had eclipsed Alabama, was going to be the number one team, the number one program. And they are 4-4. Four, which is a total thing. And then the other one of the ACC games I wanted to mention was UNC Georgia Tech. UNC two weeks ago was undefeated. Drake May is their superstar quarterback. They lost again to a team they were favored by you know 20, 25 points. And Georgia Tech is great. They beat Miami and now and UNC by in the fourth quarter they outscored UNC twenty two to seven. They are the if the if they're playing in the fourth quarter I turn again turn this game. When am I going to learn about Georgia Tech of not turning the Georgia Tech games out? And not just turning, <laughs> but I'm like not following them. And then out of nowhere they come back. And win this but this unc and usc the two teams they had these heisman trophy first and second picks in the nfl draft why in the world do they not have a defense unc gave up 636 yards to wake forest to wake forest 636 yards You're, and that's what usc's gave up how many points yards they let 49 points to california you, these teams is mac brown it's malpractice that you have this you're gonna you have a once in generation quarterback on your team you have triplitsky too but drake may so he's gonna be the number two pick in the draft and you cannot give them a defense that can just Stop Wake Forest? Ridiculous. Uh, Miami took on Virginia, and this one was too close for comfort. <laughs> Miami again, 6-2, 29-26. Tyler Van Dyke, terrible game, two interceptions. They were favored by 20 in the game. They won in overtime. Um, I don't – that's all. <laughs> I, Miami, this is a weird year for You never Miami. know what you're getting no, from, from Miami. Uh, what's the next week in the Notre Dame's at Clemson. Now that – this is going to be like Clemson's last stand. They're 4-4. Four and four. If they ever will held a 4-5. and five. Notre Dame played well. They blew up Pitt this past week. I, I would bet Notre Dame. I think Notre Dame is a much better. I think Notre Dame's going to blow Clemson out. Florida State's at Pitt. Florida State's favored by 22. But Pitt's a team. They beat Louisville. Like, you never, you can't sleep on Pitt. Like, they could be the team that 2-6 and six beats Florida State. And Miami's at NC State. Miami's favored by 4. I like NC State in that game. So Going to the Big 12, uh, Oklahoma took on Kansas, and we pretty much saw Oklahoma's championship uh, aspirations die. Close. Not all over. But, you know, I that people laughed at me when I went to see Texas-Kansas a month ago. And they're saying, why are you going to see Kansas? Because Le- uh, Leopold, their coach, is uh, Lou Leopold is, I thought, is great. Great, 
great, great coach. But he's turned the Kansas program around. They're six and two. They snapped an 18-game losing streak to Oklahoma. They beat the highest-ranked opponent since 2008. The fans tore down the goalpost, and they had to win because they were up 14-0. And then there's a rain delay, and that gave Oklahoma a chance to come back in the game. But I like the fact it was weird. The weird ending of the game I was listening to on the radio. There was the they went five, each team combined five times. They went for two-point conversions and didn't get it. And Kansas scored a touchdown at the end. Oklahoma sort of let them, and then Oklahoma couldn't convert, and uh, and they were able and they were able to hold on and win. It was huge. I mean, Jason Bean, who threw on his last two possessions, threw two interceptions, led them on the, on the game-winning drive. So he had interception, then another possession, interception, that led him for a drive. And he's just their backup quarterback. Daniels is, the, is, their, uh, is their main quarterback for Kansas. Huge win and a bad loss for Oklahoma um, because, again, they, now they'll, they'll play Texas. This sort of takes the Big 12 out because if Oklahoma, in terms of getting two, they'll never get two teams in. But uh, the thought was that if, if Texas beat Oklahoma, maybe Oklahoma would still get in the in the playoff. I never thought that was a chance, but so they lost. Texas uh, took on BYU. Well, without Quinn Evers, their Heisman Trophy in the NFL draft pick, without the quarterback, they actually beat BYU pretty handily, 35-6. to six. Um, Malik Murphy came in and played well, but that was a big win for Texas. And Texas, Arkeesian is saying, look, our best win, they beat Alabama earlier in the year, and now Alabama keeps winning. And if Alabama keeps winning, it just makes Texas their only, you know, that's a huge win for them in terms of what they were doing. And what's next week in the Big 12? The, one of the biggest games, I looked on the on the uh, StubHub, it's like a four or $500 ticket. It's Oklahoma at Oklahoma State. It's Bedlam, and they played this rivalry forever. It's the one of the best rivalries in all football, but because Oklahoma's going to the SEC, the rivalry ends. So that this is the last game is going to be at Oklahoma State, and Oklahoma's favorite by six. You know, throw the records out on this one. This is going to be very exciting. And the Kansas State's at Texas. Kansas State's really good. They only have two losses, and Texas only a four and a half point favorite. So next week, both Texas and Oklahoma could both lose. So that would take the whole <laughs> Big Twelve finally out of it. Going to the Pac-12, we saw Washington taking on Stanford. And- Stanford didn't get the win, but they've been playing some teams pretty tough. Stanford has been playing well, and Washington hasn't. Washington barely beat Arizona State last week, and ever since their win over Oregon, it was like they almost like they made a deal with the devil because they have played poorly. Michael Penix Jr. His numbers again: three sixty nine, four touchdowns. I watched the games, but they were struggling. They were up thirty five twenty six, but they fumbled. Stanford made it thirty five thirty three, and uh, Washington had an interception. Stanford had a chance to win this game. They had the ball with a chance for just a field goal to win, and weren't able to get it done. But again, this is Washington's had now two straight weeks where they've been played horrendous you know 28 point favorites on a two and six Stanford team Oregon and Utah matched up in a battle of uh, ranked teams well Oregon is to me playing as well as any team they if they play Washington again I think they're going to beat them they almost beat them the first time in Washington Bo Nix 250 yards two touchdowns but they killed Oregon Oregon is a great defense they went to Salt Lake City and won 35 to 6 they were only a six and a half point favorite they won by 29 but totally destroyed the game I love how Oregon's playing Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel, and Mike Balsamo. Just about 10 or 11 minutes until we get to uh, legendary broadcaster Kenny Albert. Um, any, uh, anything else you want to talk here? Uh, Colorado taking on UCLA. You, can't get, you just can't get Colorado out of the news. <laughs> no, you can't. And, and the fact is they, they lost. They got destroyed. They were down 28-9. to nine. They scored a, a garbage touchdown at the end. But Colorado, so much hype and publicity. I mean, we you know we had somebody who wrote a book on, on Dion on it. But they, they have, they're 4-4 four and four now. And, they have, they, and uh, they, have, they have Oregon State at home, Arizona at home at Washington State, at Utah. They might not win any of these games. They might, might, might not be bowl eligible, before. yeah. Yeah, so that was one. And then my other game with USC uh, versus California. USC is a team that everyone had. Again, Cal Williams was amazing. 369, two touchdowns. Their defense was terrible. California had 530 yards against USC. And again, Lincoln Riley, this is what he did at Oklahoma. You have yeah. this You have this generational, the best quarterback in the world who's going to put up all these points. Can you just have some sort of defense and not to have a defense like that is, is again, malpractice. 
yeah, those Oklahoma games, it seemed like it was always like 65 to 62. Yeah, no defense being played at all. What's coming up next week for the Pac-12? Um, just Washington, USC, Washington's favored by three. This could be a game. I'm telling you, USC could upset Washington. Washington's playing so poorly, and I could see USC just putting a huge number on. I, it's going to be an exciting game to watch. Oregon State's at Colorado. We're talking about this. They're at Colorado, and Oregon State's a 13-point favorite in this game. And then Cal's at Oregon. Oregon's a 24-point favorite. But I'll tell you what, I, I'm intrigued with that Washington-USC game. This could be the game that USC finally gets their act together and actually upsets Washington. Going to the SEC, we had uh, Georgia taking on the Florida Gators. Georgia's looking great. I mean, 43-20. Florida was playing well. Um, Carson back, 315 yards, two touchdowns. Georgia just totally dominated this entire game. And, you know, Georgia at the beginning of the year looked a little rusty and looked whatever, but they are, and they lost so many players to the NFL. You just look at the Philadelphia Eagles. That's the entire Georgia team. <laughs> but they played really well, and then that was that set them up good. But this is one of their big games, but they, you know, in terms of the year. Now they play Missouri next week, and this is their fa- they're playing it. They're playing a number 14 rank, 7 and 1 Missouri, and they're 16 point favorites in the game. Vandy uh, playing Ole Miss? Mississippi, Lane Kiffin now has back-to-back years at 7-1, and under the radar in terms of doing such a good job, and the reason why he's kicking the playoffs is they, their loss was to Alabama, so now they need Alabama to lose twice in order to get in the get to get in the SEC championship game, but he's play, he's, he's done a great job, and you know, I, you know, we saw what, he, what happened with all the teams at Tennessee and USC, and then he comes to FAU, turns everything around, mm-hmm. and then, but he's done an amazing job at Mississippi. What's uh, coming up for the SEC? Two big games this week, I mean, it, I would say would be the Missouri-Georgia game, and then Ella you at Alabama. I was there a few years ago for that. Uh, that was a Joe Burrow a Tua game. I mean, with all the players chased and everything. But LSU's at Bama. Bama's favorite by three in this game. Going to be super exciting. Moving on to the NFL. The trade deadline is tomorrow. We've already saw the Giants traded uh, their star interior lineman Leonard Williams to Seattle for a second and a fifth round pick. What do you think is going to happen here? I mean, there's a lot of scenarios that could play out. And I think there's a lot of teams that should be buyers and sellers. I think a lot of teams think they're in, so they're still. It's hard for the NFL. Usually, this was trade deadline. The NFL passed. People said, "You know, the trade deadline passed, and no one even knew what it was. There was never any trades, mm-hmm. none. Now there's trades all the time. You have younger general managers, they're more enthusiastic in terms of making these trades. I think Minnesota, Kirk Cousins tore his Achilles, so he's out. Minnesota's four and four. They don't have a quarterback at all. Jaron Hall, Nick Mullins, and Hendon Hooker, who will be their, I think, this great quarterback next year. But you would think that maybe a Ryan Tannehill, Tennessee, gives him up. Like there could be something where Minnesota tries and look at these backup quarterbacks, Washington. Jacoby Brissett, Denver, Jared Stidham, Carolina, Andy Dalton, some move like that. I mean, the Titans started Will Levis, and he played so great for them uh, this past week, so you think that maybe Tannehill would be available, but I think, really, I'm, I'm intrigued what Minnesota does from the quarterback perspective and whether some of these other teams that think that they might have to make a move with one of these quarterbacks. Anything you want to talk about here standings-wise? Pretty much, things are staying status quo, just the, the bad are getting worse. Well, I think the better, I think, I'm going to say this, but the AFC, it's totally wide open. Nine teams, you know, there's Casey at six and two, Miami six and two, Jacksonville six and two, Baltimore six and two. There's nine teams that really are in the wild card mix. And, and, and even at, at four and three, five and three, four and three, three and four. So it's really wide open. And the NFC, you know, there's three teams that sort of separated themselves in terms of the numbers and then five with Cowboys and 49ers. But then the weird thing is that the, the final wild card spot could be like a seven and 10 win team or eight and nine win team. So it's, it's a crazy year in terms of where they, when you see Denver win these games, there's no team in the AFC with one win. They all, the, they, New England is two and they, New England is the worst record. You believe Bill Belichick is yeah. the worst record in the AFC. Uh, you were at uh, Jaguars Steelers. 
a lot of people were saying you were kind of crazy with the weather, but you didn't seem to mind. I, th you know, it rained, but it was great. It felt like I, I call, I wrote a, a column about this, like with the medieval times when the Steelers with the black and yellow and the Jacksonville with the teal and black, and it was all misty and foggy. You couldn't see anything, and the rain's coming down, and it was pretty cool. I thought it was a, it was a, it was a neat thing. Um, I had the best parking spot I've ever did. I actually parked closer to the stadium than even the players park. My friend had a parking pass. I could not believe. It. I, could, I could see my car like from when I walked up the stairs. My car was right there. But um, but now Jacksonville is. You know, this is a great rivalry. The Steelers. They're six and six in the regular season, but they twice in the playoffs. Ben Rotzenberger lost to Jacksonville, yeah. and one year he had that was the Antonio Brown. They were thirteen and three. They had Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell. They were totally loaded, and they were upset 45-42 in that game. And that was sort of like what happened because that team was that was when everybody was healthy and mm -hmm. they beat us. So it's like, and I was went to the game and David Gerard beat Ben in two thousand like I think eight when that that was a win. But uh, uh, no, this is uh, this was you know Jacksonville's now thirteen and four over the last seventeen games, and you can see a Jacksonville versus Miami AFC Championship game. You're liking Jacksonville a lot. Anything else you want to talk about from this game? Yeah, I just, I just really, I could. When you look at the score, you're like, oh, the Steelers, the Steelers stay in these games. Like they lost twenty to ten, but the fact is that they stayed in the game. It, it make Patrick went out for the Steelers early. They're, they're a great secondary, the safety. And Jacksonville first drive was a field goal. Their second drive, they, they, you know, they got another field goal, made it six zero. But then they fumbled on the eighteen, and then the Trevor Lawrence in the end zone. I mean. The only thing they have to do is avoid these stupid mistakes. He throws the ball. There was four Steelers and, like, one Jaguar there, and he throws the ball. Another interception. So they should have been up 28-0 on the Steelers. The Steelers start out. But this is how they beat the Ravens. This is how they beat the Browns. This is how they beat the— They just hang in these games and let the other teams make mistakes. But Steelers finally drove, made it 6-3. Um, there was a weird penalty. End of the first half, the Steelers were trying to kick a field goal, and they were called offsides on the offense, which is— They were kicked lined up weird. It was, like, one of the first times it ever happened in a game. Start the second half, Jacksonville's up 9-3. They fumble, they're in the Steelers' 35, and they fumble again. So this is three turnovers in the Steelers' territory. Uh, but then Kenny Pickett gets hurt, and uh, and they should have probably called unnecessary a, a roughness on this. He was thrown down, and he was out. Mitch Trubisky come in. But finally, Trevor Lawrence threw to Trevor, Trevor Entienne. Great pass, run. They scored it, made it 17-3, and sort of the game was over. But I really liked how, the one thing about Jacksonville, I like them a lot. Lawrence is great. He's got to step it up a little bit more, but three almost 300 yards passing. NTN is a true running back, 24 carries, 80 yards, but he did the three passes, receivers for 70 yards, a touchdown. Ingram, a tight end, is a great tight end. Ridley and Kirk are great wide receivers. Like, they look like Miami on offense. Like, they're not that fast, like Hill mm. and Waddle, but they have the two wide receivers. They have a tight end. They have a running back like Mostar. Like, they have that Miami-type feel where if they somehow get their act going, they're mm. going to be good, and their defense keeps improving. I like this team a lot. I, they're 6-2, and two, and I don't think people realize they're 6-2. and two. They, they fly under the radar for 6-2, and two, But for sure. could you imagine a, a Jacksonville-Miami AFC Championship game down here, whether it's in Jacksonville the or whether it's Florida. in Florida? Battle for Florida. <laughs> and I just, I hope. I mean, that would be great. I hope the Steelers are in it. But the fact is, I, I, am, I am sold on this Jacksonville team. Like, I'm buying stock in this team. Speaking of uh, Miami, took on the Patriots, and Tua does what he does to Bill Belichick. 6-0. and oh, It's amazing. They're now 16-2 and two in the last 18 home games, and uh, they're the— they're six and two for the first time since 2001, which is amazing. Two at 324 yards, three touchdowns, and Waddle and Hill both play great games. And uh, the only thing I would be concerned about for the Miami fans would be 78 yards rushing. They, since our chain left and got injured, at left since he got injured, they they haven't got ran the ball. They haven't been those big running like 200 yard rushing mm -hmm. games, and most starts sort of been stopped. Uh, it was nice to see Jalen Ramsey come back. And the one thing from the Dolphin fans is the defense under Vince Fangio starts to improve every day and have Ramsey. Ramsey's not going to be that All Pro Ramsey, but 
but he's going to be better what they were having. And the interception in his first game back. Yes, and I think that's going to be in, in the in big time play and, 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 and be able to. I think that. So, look, Miami's rolling along, but it's, it's next week's game is what the test is because they seem to not be able to beat these really good teams and they're going to play a really good team next week. Yeah, in the morning, too. Um, Denver taking on KC, and this was, you know, the story of this was obviously Taylor Swift not being there, but and then the minor sub story was that Patrick Mahomes was battling the flu, and they just never looked like the Kansas City Chiefs. They did not look. If you looked at the team, but I'll tell you, they, there are problems that Kansas City had. Uh, Nicole Hardman muffed a punt. Um, Sky Moore, when they're trying to come back, he drops a touchdown, and we talked about this last week. I'm telling you, they are missing Tyreek Hill. They are missing this dynamic. Kelsey cannot do everything. They rely too much on him. They don't have a Pacheco, someone the running game, but they are, their other wide receivers right, are not coming up, and that is the weak. Mahomes cannot do everything, and if he's the, he has the flu, then they lose. I mean, you're asking him to do everything for this team, and I really think giving you know whatever money that they could have given Hill, they should have just overpaid him and had him on a team because <laughs> that was... Um, Baltimore playing Arizona, and Baltimore is looking more and more like they could be a real contender. But Arizona continues to play people hard. <laughs> they play hard, but you know the one thing is the Steelers are four and three. Arizona is one and seven. Both teams have not outgained their opponent the whole year. The only two teams in the league. <laughs> but Baltimore, I'll tell you, I mean, the, Todd Munkin was added as the offense coordinator. And he told Lamar Jackson, "We're not going to run the ball all the time. We're not going to do these runs. We're going to keep you healthy." The goal for for Baltimore is to keep Lamar Jackson healthy at the end of the year and not him beat up. And they've accomplished that. He's hardly running the ball. They have running back. How about this novel concept? Gus Edwards running the ball for three yeah. touchdowns, not having him. Because it's one thing for Jalen Hurts, and you see how he's getting beat up. But for Lamar, the key is to keep him healthy. They're 6-2. and two. Lamar Jackson looks healthy. You don't hear anything of it. I think that I like Baltimore. I like Jacksonville, Miami. These teams are playing great. These are good teams. I was telling people going into the uh, Bengals 49ers game that this was going to be a really telling game for Joe Burrow. He got, came into the season with an injury, didn't look like himself. Now he's coming off a bye. What Joe Burrow are we going to see if he still looks bad? The season might be a wash for, for Cincinnati, but played good, and Brock Purdy did not for the 49ers. Purdy didn't play well. I don't think he played. I think he played okay. I think he good enough. I think he's getting a lot of criticism. I think 49ers said they have to their defense. Their defense, whatever. But Joe Burrow, let's just turn to the Joe Burrow thing. He was 28 for 32. He only missed four passes, 283 yards, three touchdowns, chase, 10 catches, 100 yards, a touchdown. This is the Bengals' offense. And you know what? They actually they actually have blocked. They actually had their offensive line. wasn't crazy. Mm-hmm. And, and you could tell that Burrow was healthy because did you see the one run he had where he scrambled and he died first? He died. Like, he's healthy. His ankles, people said, oh, his ankle will never heal. It's never going to be back. He's going to be hurt all year. His Hanky's ankle, Achilles is going to be bothering him. He looks great. He looks Joe Burrow. This is Joe Burrow. The Bengals look loaded. I mean, we're talking, i mentioning these teams. You know, again, Miami, Baltimore, Cincinnati. These are the good teams. Jacksonville, these teams are really starting. These AFC teams are, are really starting to play better. And it just shows at the beginning of the year, we sometimes overreact, including me, overreacting <laughs> to what happens at the beginning. It's a long, long, long season. And the Bengals who said, oh, my gosh, maybe they should just rest Burrow and not play him all year. Look, he looks great, and they, they're they they're coming on. And that was a big win over the 49ers, who've now lost three games in a row. And I don't think they're going to lose all season. <laughs> no, but, but they, you know, this is a, it's a rough stretch. And they're going to, they're going to, I like Purdy a lot. I mean, I think uh, Purdy is not Patrick Mahomes, but he's good enough to win the NFC. Well, he's with in them. concussion protocol all week, too. They just said he was going to play on Saturday. So it's kind of a wonky week for him, too. So I'm definitely giving him a pass. Just a minute here until we have to get to Kenny Albert. 
Any other games you want to uh, focus on quick before uh, we talk about the Monday Rams? Football? We talked about the Rams again beating da- uh, the Dallas beat the Rams forty three. Uh, that 20. game was like thirty three nothing in the yes, first five minutes. And, and, and the Eagles came back and beat Washington. Sam Howe, who I like from North Carolina, I talked about North Carolina quarterback. I really liked him in terms of how he played. It was four hundred yards, four touchdowns. But and AJ Brown had another big game for the Eagles, and that sets up for next week. I'll take the Lions tonight, uh, given the points versus uh, Vegas. I don't think Vegas is good at, in the slightest. Right, and you want a team like Detroit who had a bad loss last week against the Ravens to come back with, uh, you know, you're going to think that they're going to come back and really play hard after getting embarrassed last week uh, against this. So I, I do. I like the Lions minus seven. Next week's schedule, a little bit light, and we're also going to see the game of the week at 9.30 in the morning. What happens is they put all the good teams together. I mean, it's unbelievable. The Steel- Titans and Steelers play on Thursday. That's just Steelers for the Steelers fans. But Dolphins and Chiefs play at early morning at 9.30. The Chiefs are favored by two and a half. And then you have Seahawks-Ravens. The Ravens are favored by five and a half. And then Cowboys-Eagles. Eagles are favored by three. I mean, and then Bill at night, Bills and Bengals. So you got Bills and Bengals. So really just the Bills, Bengals, Cowboys, Eagles, and Dolphins, Chiefs. You got all these top teams playing. Everything else is four and fours playing three and fours and two and fives and everything like that. So it's really just a few big games next week. Let's go to Kenny Albert at Zyron Sports. Joining us on the line is Kenny Albert, legendary sports broadcaster. He's also the author of A Mic for All Seasons, my three decades announcing the NFL, NHL, NBA, MLB, and the Olympics. Kenny, thank you for joining us. We don't get to talk that much hockey here on Iron Sports, but I'm a huge hockey guy like you are. Going into last season, it's easy to say, okay, you know, we're going to see the Boston Bruins, the Colorado Avalanche, and the Stanley Cup. Last year, got the Florida Panthers and Vegas Knights. These are two good teams, but nobody was picking them to, to win it all or go to the Stanley Cup. Who's your teams this year that people aren't talking about right now that you could see meeting in the Stanley Cup Finals? Wow. Well, I think it's a little bit too early, uh, you know, to look ahead to the Stanley Cup Final, but there are a lot of good teams, you know, in the Eastern Conference and the Metropolitan Division. You have to look at the the Rangers, the Devils, the Carolina Hurricanes, um, you know, Pittsburgh reloaded with the acquisition of Eric Carlson. Um, Detroit's off to a great start of the Atlantic. Uh, Boston finally lost their first game. Toronto, you figure one of these years uh, they're going to advance further in the playoffs. Out west, some of the teams you mentioned, Colorado and Vegas and Dallas, uh, Vancouver's off to a good start. So uh, you're right, not many people expected the Florida Panthers uh, to get to the cup final last year, although they did win the president's trophy the year before. And Vegas went on an incredible run. Uh, their owner, Bill Foley, uh, won the franchise. Uh, before they played their first game back in 2018, he said playoffs in three years, Stanley Cup in six. Well, they wound up making it to the Stanley Cup final in their first year and winning it in their sixth <laughs> year. So quite a remarkable story. Hey, I won't be too mad if Toronto doesn't uh, get over that hump. wouldn't bother me too bad. So... Kenny, you've been doing Rangers play-by-play for almost 30 years on the radio. And if you look online, you say that baseball for you is the hardest to commentate on. For me, hockey on the radio is easily the hardest. Why is it that you, you know, just so naturally good at hockey, which to me seems, you know, impossible to describe? And what's the, uh, you know, the hard part about baseball? Well, to me, hockey is the easiest. It's like riding a bike. The, the puck's in action for 60 minutes. You're constantly calling the action, especially on the radio, on TV, you have a little more time to lay out and, and allow your color analysts to come in uh, because the viewers can see what's going on. On hockey radio, you have to be so descriptive. Um, basketball, to me, is similar to hockey, although it's slower. There are more stoppages, fouls, balls out of bounds, et cetera, but you're calling the action for 48 minutes. Football's the most rhythmic. It's one play and then 20 or 25 seconds, another play and then 20 or 25 seconds. To me personally, baseball is the most challenging because of all the downtime between pitches and between batters, although it's sped up 
over the last year with the introduction of the pitch clock. But the ball's only in action for 8 to 12 minutes every baseball game. So hopefully you have a good analyst who can uh, fill in some of that downtime with, with, with stories and anecdotes. Uh, but to me, hockey's definitely the easiest, despite the, despite the speed of the game, the line changes, and, the, and the, some of the names that might take a little while to get used to. Yeah, some of those names are definitely difficult. Ira, what do you have for Kenny? So, Kenny, you're the fourth all-time the games that you broadcast with all the – with anybody who's broadcast all four sports. You've done 476 NFL games, 412 NHL network games, but I, and 401 Major League Baseball games. But I think you're now the most famous for two days ago that Mad Dog had retired from uh, his radio show but came back to interview you on the radio show. So that's pretty impressive that you're going to be the only broadcaster to ever bring, bring Mad Dog back from retirement. <laughs> Well, it's funny, uh, we, that interview was set up a couple of weeks ago, and then the situation with, with Mad Dog saying he would retire if the Diamondbacks beat the Phillies, and uh, he did come in that next day to do the show, and we had a great chat for about an hour uh, talking about my new book and um, you know other stories from throughout the career, but I guess that's another notch on the belt, right, uh, bring, helping bring Mad Dog Russo out of retirement. Yes, we've had on our show, we've had Doc Embrick, who you would talk about in the book throughout, uh, and also Andrew Catalog, who's been on CBS, who does CBS Sports Broadcasting. So, But I know that Doc was great. It's, it's your life in many ways, Doc, because you have to. You started out in small towns and broadcasting hockey and working up and you know doing so many different sports. So it's pretty cool to have both you and him have an interview before. Well, Doc's one of the best of all time. I refer to him as the Vince Scully of hockey. He had a tremendous career. Uh, with so many different networks, he's a he's a good friend, and I actually saw him uh, last week for the first time in about four years uh, since before the pandemic. He came out to the morning skate in Detroit uh, to visit with Eddie Olchek and Brian Boucher and I uh, before the Red Wings uh, Penguins broadcast a week ago Wednesday. Wow! And so, well, you know, you grew up with a famous father who was one of the legendary broadcasters of all time. And you talk in your book about all the experiences and all the athletes you got to meet and all the games you went to. Uh, that must have just been such a cool experience to grow up with a father like Marv Albert. It really was. I mean, I didn't know any different. That, that was how it was. But um, it was so much fun to be able to tag along to Knicks games, Rangers games, NFL games, boxing matches, uh, the WNBC studios in New York, and just learn via osmosis. Watch uh, the preparation and the amount of time that it took to prepare uh, for each and every broadcast, when I was old enough, I would start to keep stats for him um, at various sports, and just to learn the the communication, the synergy that takes place between the play-by-play broadcaster and the color analyst, as well as the announcers and the production truck. Um, probably learned more than I could have learned in any classroom. Not to not to uh, you know put down any teachers. I had some great ones, but just getting the practical experience and sitting in those broadcast booths uh, was so valuable. How did you become a Vancouver Canucks fan? And then you mentioned in the book that you always went to a game, were going down to a game, and you got stuck in a hotel and got to talk to the coach and the players for a long time. But as you know, you're you're growing up, growing up with the Rangers and everything like that, and you become a Canucks fan. Right. Not quite sure how that happened. I was about five or six <laughs> years old and started rooting for the Canucks, and I bought the jersey. And you know, I couldn't see many of the games growing up in New York. They were playing out on the West Coast, and I would I would. Uh, wake up in the middle of the night and turn on 10-10 wins to hear the scores and wouldn't see the box scores until two days later uh, when they played on the West Coast and uh, always enjoyed going to Canucks games when they played in the New York area, kept scrapbooks and um, cut out all the box scores, so it was a lot of fun. 
I loved reading about your early career in terms of your start. I mean, it isn't like you just said, oh, I'm Marv Albert's son, just give me a job. You you were broadcasting in high school for Cox Cable. You went to NYU and was doing every sport, you know, going from place to place, doing, you know, filling in. It was your schedule was like what it is today, really. But it was fun to just see how you went up and, like, got, you know, when something opened up, you know, took advantage. Being in New York and college was a great chance because you got to work for so many different teams. Right. tried to do as much as I could, and it was a tremendous opportunity when Cox Cable happened to show up at my school to film a girls' basketball game. I was there to cover it for the newspaper, and they clipped a, a microphone on my shirt, and I announced that game and then uh, worked for Cox for the next two and a half to three years. And it was such invaluable experience, just getting the reps, calling games, bringing friends along as color analysts. And then when I was hired by the Baltimore Skipjacks, the minor league hockey team, the Washington Capitals affiliate at the time, um, just to get the reps again, doing 80 games a year, uh, riding the bus, six, eight, ten-hour bus rides, and doing everything else, you know, chipping in in the office, whether it was public relations, sales, marketing, picking up a player at the airport. Just learned so much about how a sports organization runs during those two years in Baltimore. That's exactly what Doc Emmerich said when he was uh, broadcasting minor league hockey. He said it was the greatest time. He said he had to do absolutely everything. He felt like he had to sell the tickets in order to keep his job and do those things. So that was fun. And you worked um, with uh, on your team with Queenville and Trotz, two of the three biggest, uh, largest winners in all of hockey. So it was a pretty fun team, a great team, and that type of experience we'll never forget. Right. Uh, Joel Quenville was a veteran defenseman who had played about a decade in the NHL. Uh, Washington traded. Uh, for Quenville from Hartford. They needed some depth on the blue line, and he was sent down to the Skipjack, spent about 40 games with us. And Barry Trotz was our assistant coach uh, and my road roommate. Uh, to save money, they had the radio guy and the assistant coach room together. So I uh, learned so much about hockey from uh, both of those gentlemen. And as it turns out, like you said, three decades later, they're the second and third winningest head coaches in NHL history. I love the story in the book you had, and you have so many of them, is that when you were broadcasting for the Washington Capitals and working for them in hockey, you actually were traded. <laughs> you, you chose, you wanted to go to broadcast Ranger games, but they had to actually work a trade out for you in order to go broadcast those games. So you're one of the few announcers that actually was traded. Right. I was uh, working in Washington and loved it down there, really enjoyed the people that I was working with and for, and the opportunity came about uh, to move to New York and, and handle Rangers radio, and I still had some time left in my contract, so they worked out a trade, as you mentioned, uh, for control room time whenever the Capitals and Bullets came up to play in New York. Uh, HTS did not get charged for X number of years. So, um, you know, Al Michaels back in the day, he was traded for some uh, old cartoons in the deal between ABC and NBC. <laughs> right. I was actually traded for uh, control room access. So you broadcast, I think you said in your book, 1,500 Rangers games, um, just and also broadcasting at MSG for hockey. It's just a, what an arena, the world's most famous arena. It's been great and exciting through all these times in terms of, of you know just being at the Garden and doing those games. Yeah, it really is. There's no place like the Garden when you walk in and look up at the iconic ceiling. You know, so many great events have taken place there through the years, and it really never gets old having the opportunity to work Rangers radio with Dave Maloney and about 50 Knicks games games a year with Walt Clyde Frazier, uh, working my first Knicks game this year, regular season a week from Friday in Milwaukee. So, um, you know, really fortunate to be involved in, in all four of the major sports, heading to Green Bay for a football game this weekend, right. uh, hockey last night, and a basketball game next Friday, and a couple of other hockey games in between. 
That's amazing. You've done everything. You know, it's amazing. I think you've worked for every single network. And Doc said the same thing. He's a versus OLN, NBC, Turner, um, everything in terms of being involved because the, the hockey rights keep getting switched around. And then you worked at the Olympics. So you really had from the, from the local in terms of the Rangers, but also the national working for Fox and all the other sports, other networks and the Olympics. Right. It's been 30 years at Fox, 30th season doing football. Uh, we had hockey at Fox back from 95 through 99, baseball at Fox since 96. And uh, like you said, with the hockey rights moving around, did a couple of games for ESPN2 back in the 90s, OLN versus Fox, NBC, and now TNT. So, and just back to the football, you're 26 years old and you got an interview for the Fox for the football because when they took over the, the from CBS, they took over the broadcasting rights. And a producer at Fox, you were broadcasting a lacrosse game and heard you on the lacrosse game and then thought that you might be good to broadcast have an NFL football. So what a great way to get a start in that. That's pretty cool. Right. That was, that was part of the reason why I wound up with the initial audition. George Krieger was one of the Fox executives and his son, was a big lacrosse fan, and uh, he asked Jody Shapiro at Home Team Sports for some lacrosse tapes. I happened to be working one of those games. Um, had a little bit of football experience with Cox Cable and Staten Island Cable a couple of years prior, and they brought a lot of uh, a bunch of young broadcasters out for an audition in L.A., and Fox hired Pat Summerall and John Madden, greatest team of all time, as the number one crew, Dick Stockton and Matt Millen on the second crew, and then uh, they wound up hiring – uh, Joe Buck, Kevin Harlan, Tom Brenneman, and uh, I was the other member of that group. We were all really in the right place at the right time. Rupert Murdoch made this crazy bid for the NFC package, and I was 26. Joe was 25. Uh, he's gone on to have a Hall of Fame career now at ESPN. Kevin Harlan, tremendous at CBS and TNT. Tom Brenneman, 25-plus years, great career at Fox. So uh, hard to believe it's been 30 years and closing in on I guess 500 games next season, but um, have had some great partners, analysts, uh, producers, directors, and it's really a team effort. You know, you spend as much time with, with your crew as you do your family during the football season from Friday morning through Sunday evening. So uh, just so fortunate to work with some great people through the years. Yeah, the story you had about meeting, coming to a room with Mike Dicka, coming late when he was sitting in the room was hilarious. Yeah, that was uh, quite the trip over a 24-mile bridge accidentally in New Orleans. And uh, Coach Dicker was waiting for us. And when we finally arrived, his line was, John Madden wouldn't be late. But he stayed there, talked to us, and uh, that was certainly one of the memorable stories from the 30 years at Fox. And you talk about your um, sports family, but your real family, your wife, Barbara, your daughter's Amanda and Sydney. I mean, the fact is that they're amazing in terms of setting, you know, they all love sports and, and just your wife's involvement and service. I mean, I don't know how you do your travel plans. It's impossible, but she is a great asset through the book. It talks about that. And your two daughters now are involved in sports. So it's pretty cool to have your whole family, you know, following in, you know, just being involved in the whole sports uh, landscape. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they're so great about it. My schedule, crazy, wacky schedule. I grew up around it with my father, you know, not being home a lot on weekends and at nights and similar uh, with my schedule. But uh, they are big sports fans. My my daughter works at the NHL. Amanda, she's a video editor and producer. So she's behind the scenes in the sports world. And my wife couldn't be uh, better about understanding the schedule. And, um, you know, they, they meet me on the road sometimes and have taken some pretty cool trips. So, uh, there are certainly benefits to it as well. 
you know, anybody, uh, your book is just, it just came out uh, all, Mike for all seasons. And anybody who's interested in getting into broadcasting, it's probably, it's like a, a tutorial in terms of how to do it. Cause you spend chapters after chapters about how to get prepared and how you prepare because here you're not just broadcasting, you know, the Dodger games, 162 games a year. You are going from, from different sports and you talk about your preparation and, and how you, you know, just go in terms of studies. It's just amazing in terms of, it's not like you just show up at a game and broadcast the work that you put in beforehand to be ready with all the little tidbits that you do for a game. Right. There's a lot of time that goes into it, a lot of work. I have a checklist that I go through every week uh, before each and every broadcast, and I start about a week before a particular game, a lot of reading and watching prior games and preparing charts and going through statistics and talking to players and coaches, going to practices and press conferences. So a lot of work and travel involved, but it's fun. Uh, Never feel like I'm actually going to work, so – uh, very fortunate about that as well. You know, the one thing you mentioned in your book is between broadcasting the local, say you're broadcasting a game on an MSC network for the Rangers and then the national game and how you have to be aware that you said you had to be aware that your fans are the local or just local and you don't want to be more homer, but it is, it must be difficult to go back from between the national and the local back and forth a lot. I'm kind of used to it by this point, And the only sport in which that really takes place for me is hockey because basketball, I'm only working MSG games, football and baseball. They're all national games, hockey. I am doing Rangers radio and then the national games on TNT. So when the Rangers play in those games, whether it's TNT now or NBC back in the day, do have to remind myself, uh, you know, that it's a little different than a local broadcast for sure. And I, I know Mad Dog spent, I think, a half an hour interviewing you about the travel. He was obsessed with it. But it is pretty amazing. In, in October, you gave things in your book about in October 19th. You called 19 days of boxing, NFL, MLB playoffs, NHL, NBA. And like you said, it's, it's you're on the road, I think, with like 150 days out of the year in terms of – or you broadcast 150 games out of the year. And it's just, you know, your records are 12 playoff games in 15 days. In 2022, you had a 12-day trip in four different time zones. It's pretty cool that you were able to you know, jump around and go to these places. And you've never, one of the biggest things, you've never missed a game because of travel, which is crazy. No, I never have. I missed one due to a sore throat back in 96 or 97, but that was it. Um, you know, there is some crazy travel, and um, I probably memorized the flight schedules of most of the airlines. But uh, also in the book, talked about some you know, six-hour car rides that I've had to take due to weather or flight cancellations. But always seem to be able to get there. And you've done, you did the double, the Knicks during the day, a football game at night or something, or in reverse, something like that. So that was fun to do two games in one day, two different sports in a day, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that's a lot of fun. I've had a couple of those instances with either a football game in the afternoon, hockey at night, or a basketball hockey doubleheader. Um, definitely among the, the memorable days uh, that I've worked when, when two games in one day. When I was in the hockey bubble in Edmonton, um, actually, on two occasions, believe it or not, worked three games in one day, three NHL playoff games, which is kind of crazy when I think back. But uh, that was certainly a unique time in all of our lives. Wow. And I, your book, you know, certainly you've seen everything. I can't believe in the book you wrote, you said you have never seen a no-hitter. For all the – every sport you've been, you've never even witnessed a no-hitter as a fan, but you mentioned some of your most – you know, give have a list of some of your most memorable games that you've attended. Well, I did come close. I was assigned to a game, as I wrote in the book, um, involving the Mariners and White Sox and wound up switching uh, due to a Rangers playoff series against Ottawa. And ironically, in that game, uh, Philip Umber of the White Sox pitched the perfect game. So uh, Dave Sims was on the call. 
Uh, missed that one. That, that was probably the closest I've come, but wound up switching off that game uh, earlier in the week. And you mentioned in your book, you were at Ripken's 21-30, the Game 7 Jackie's Red Sox, and the Game 7 Rangers Vancouver. So a, a, a great list of your most memorable games. Well, the 94 Stanley Cup Final, you know, certainly towards the top of my list, calling that for NHL radio, Rangers and Canucks. And uh, one of the games I get asked about the most is the Bautista bat flip, the home run and bat flip in 2015. And uh, the Stanley Cup Final uh, on radio for many years and then on NBC a couple of years ago, TNT last year. So many memorable football games that I write about in the book as well. So fun to reminisce. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big Steelers fan, and you were at the game when Tower took the the uh, I guess the printout, <laughs> the printout of the of one of the formation or something, and shoved it in the referee's pocket as he ran out, and you were able to. I remember watching that game, and you just mentioning it right when it happened, and it was pretty cool. That, that yeah, I was at that one as well. That was back in 1995. The Steelers and Vikings. Gordon McCarter was the referee uh, who had that uh, Polaroid shoved into his his shirt pocket by Bill Cowher. That's amazing. And one last question is about your favorite stadiums. Now, you listed your stadiums. We just had a, a writer from The Athletic who's been – I've been to 25 of the NFL stadiums and almost all the NBA uh, arenas. Uh, and he ranked – you know, well, he, but there was a big ranking athletic, what the best stadiums are. They used all the athletic writers. But you, you have some interesting – you have some of the old-time stadiums like Yankee Stadium, Wrigley Field, Red Sox. But then you have some of the newer stadiums in your list of favorite stadiums. Right. I, I really enjoy the traditional ballparks and stadiums, Lambeau Field, Wrigley, Fenway Park, Soldier Field. But uh, a lot of the newer ones are really nice in football, uh, Minnesota, Vegas, Dallas, Atlanta. Uh, a number of the new hockey arenas made it out to the Golden State Warriors new arena last year. So oftentimes I judge it by the location of the broadcast booth. Uh, for the most part, they're in good spots. Uh, this week heading to Green Bay, which is which is certainly one of my favorites. Well, Kenny, I know you're super busy. I mean, your schedule's amazing. I'm so fortunate to have you on Iron Sports, but I encourage everybody. I read it, the book last night and today. It was amazing. A bike for all seasons. It's a tremendous book, and I encourage you to go to Barnes & Noble, Amazon, pick it up at your stores or whatever. So, but, Kenny, thanks a lot for coming on Iron Sports. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Ira. It was a lot of fun. Uh, appreciate you reading the book, and uh, look forward to joining you again in the future. Real quick here, Ira, switching to uh, boxing. Tyson Fury and Ngano fought, and this was ended up being kind of a wild uh, fight. Well, this is crazy. I mean, Connor, I was at Conor McGregor uh, versus Floyd Mayweather, and Connor looked a little stilted. He's a UFC fighter. He wasn't really a boxer. But Ngano has been a UFC champion of the world who retired undefeated, left, retired the ring, and went into boxing, and it challenged Fury. He was a 1,200 to 100 underdog, 12 to 1 underdog, and I thought he won the fight. He knocked down Fury in the third round. I think the this was ridiculous how the refs did it. It was in Saudi Arabia, and Fury is a big match next. But I think Francis Ngano this is for his first fight, and, and I think beating the heavyweight champion of the world is sets himself up to become the heavyweight champion in the next couple years. And let's just wrap it up at racing. First Stappen won Mexico. He started in third, took the lead. He's now won 16 out of 19 races. He set the all-time record for wins. There's only three races left. He, of course, has won the title, Brazil, Vegas, and UAE. In NASCAR, they're going down to the final four. It's Kyle Larson, uh, William Byron, uh, and uh, Ryan Blaney and Christopher Bell. So whoever has in the Phoenix, whoever finishes first, or not finished, but who has the highest finish, we're going to win the championship. And then in NCAA basketball, one thing, 
16-year-old Cooper Flagg, who was considered in two years the number one pick in the NBA draft, he's 6'8 from Maine, is assigned to go to Duke. And he's going to go. We had Carlos Boozer on a couple weeks. His son will also go to Duke. And it was two sons will possibly probably go to Duke. So you could arguably going to have three of the top six players in the country going to Duke in next year. So pretty exciting. What's your plan this week? I have not decided. I know in two weeks it's going to be Penn State, Michigan, and Green Bay at the Pittsburgh, but this week is a little up in the air. Thanks so much to Kenny Albert for coming by. He's Ira and Mike. We'll talk next Monday night. Ira on sports.